Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in. This is going to be a very interesting podcast. So we're going to start with an easy topic, relatively, and we're going to scale up to some harder topics. And if I don't offend you by the end of the podcast, that's great. And if I do offend you by the end of the podcast... Please check out the links that I will be posting in the description because I am just hitting the headlines. And there are so many other people who've done so much more extensive, detailed, focused work into each of these topics that the best thing I can do for you is point to their work. So, the first topic of discussion in the category of suppressors of truth is the flat earthers now this this completely boggles my mind which is why i am starting with this example the very idea that that the earth is flat just oh my oh my goodness how do you explain the retrograde movement of Mars? Oh, but they can, and they will, and they've come up with very fancy explanations for it, but they're absolutely wrong and confused. They are suppressing the truth. And in a strange, painful sense, I feel like God is using the flat earthers as an example to the rest of us to not walk in pride Otherwise, if we judge them, we will fall into the same trap. Maybe not, maybe not on that exact topic, but there's plenty of other topics where the enemy loves to suppress the truth, and it's very easy for us to fall prey to that when we are not keeping our eyes fixed on the one true God. So, the first argument that I have to make against the Flat Earth Society is Proverbs 8, verse 27. Now, the context of this passage is that wisdom is speaking. Um, Wisdom is personified as a woman, and I would just like to comment that wisdom is not personified as a man in the Bible. It's personified as a woman. Well, what do you know? God is honoring the female gender yet again. How rich and sweet is that? I appreciate the honor. I will take that. Please, Lord Jesus, help me to live up to this standard of wisdom being female. And please help me to be a wise woman to assist my husband and my brothers and sisters in the Lord walk in pursuit of him. So, Proverbs 8, verse 27, when he, God, established the heavens, I, wisdom, was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep. And so it goes on to talking about the structure of the world and the foundations. And there it is. He drew a circle on the face of the deep. There's other passages that talk about the heavenly bodies being spheres in the skies. I believe there's one in Isaiah. Um... But this this verse is what I saw recently, so that's what I went with. And if there is any question in your mind about the 
beauty of God's structure and order to the universe, I would strongly encourage you to check out the beautiful documentary called The Star of Bethlehem. Search for it on YouTube. I will link the YouTube video in the description. There was a lawyer who was curious about the origin of the star, and he took the time to get astronomy software and go back and look at the days and look at the documents and look at the details, and he comes up with some very strong requirements for the star, and then he goes to the skies and he looks, and there is evidence that matches every single one of those requirements, and it is absolutely beautiful. And he doesn't even stop there. He continues by discussing the movement of the skies on the day of crucifixion. So beautiful. Strongly recommend that you watch it because it just, it encourages and inspires our faith. And that is what happened when people go and they verify the Bible says this. Let me go verify that. Be a Berean. And that is exactly what filmmaker Tim Mahaney did regarding the Exodus. Now, Tim Mahaney Mahaney grew up Christian, but he'd asked, what about the Exodus? Is this historically true? And he came to realize that if the Exodus is not historically true, then it undermines the entire Judeo-Christian faith. So he did the work. He traveled to the Middle East half a dozen times. He interviewed multiple experts with multiple differing opinions and he presents the evidence in a documentary called the patterns of Ex- the patterns of evidence exodus and i'm very very excited to announce that coming february 14th of this year 2020 he is releasing a second patterns of evidence video which is patterns of evidence red sea He literally did not touch the topic of the Red Sea at all during the Exodus video, and I'm very excited for him to get into the the scientific history of that event. Super, super stoked for that. And upon further investigation, his name is pronounced Tim Mahoney, M-A-H-O-N-Y, O-N-E-Y, yeah. M-A-H-O-N-E-Y, I think. And if not, I'm going to link to PatternsofEvidence.com in the description so you can go check it out for yourself. Excellent work. Very excited for the Red Sea. Okay, now a brief interlude while we talk about this phrase, truth suppression. Where does that come from? When I use that phrase, I am referencing a very specific passage from Romans 1. And I'm going to read a segment from verse 16 through to verse 25. English Standard Version. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived 
ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Wow. Romans 1 is a passage that passage that some people are afraid to preach because he does not mince words, and he goes on to talk about uh, some other issues. Don't worry, we'll get to those later. Um, so, there's two phrases I want to point out. First, the clear one is who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It is our love of sin that motivates us to suppress the truth. And that is the part that just tears me up because when Jesus Christ comes back and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he alone is Lord, there will be those who kneel in joy and exaltation that my Savior has come, my faith is rewarded, my obedience is going to be fulfilled and gratified and satisfied, and my King has come. But there will also be those who tremble and kneel in fear because they will know in the depth of their heart that He was coming. God is here, and they did not love him. Yeah, heavy stuff. So the, uh, the second phrase that uh, stands out to me is, well, let me lead up to it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. God actually darkens the hearts of those who don't want him. And we see this example in the book of Exodus with the Pharaoh whose heart, it says at first, Pharaoh hardened his heart against Moses. And it says that multiple times. And then towards the end, it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart towards Moses. And God just gave him what he wanted. Like, okay, you want your heart to be hardened? Let's just... Seal this up and go all the way. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And if I can update this for the new modern millennial version, claiming to be woke, they became fools. It's awkward, but it's true. On occasion, definition of woke to be determined. Okay, so... The next sad and painful topic about the suppression of truth is abortion. And this just makes my heart so sad because the the very idea that that you can call a miracle of human life a clump of cells, human material waste, is just revolting to my soul. Revolting 
everything that God cares about. And if you wonder why the Old Testament is so harsh, it's because they were killing their own children. God has a problem with that. He has a major problem with that. So, um, the reference that I would like to go to about abortion, and there's so many excellent Christian references on this. I could point in many different directions. I'm going to point to and link directly to a podcast interview of Nancy Piercy done by Allie Beth Stuckey. Now, Allie Beth Stuckey is herself a very outspoken pro-life podcaster. Man, she serves up the hot takes like they're pancakes and she pours the maple syrup on top and she is so good at what she does. Um, so if you want more pro-life information, talk to her, absolutely. But her interview with Nancy Piercy is a little bit more broad than just abortion. And that's why I'm linking to it, because Nancy Piercy covers a multiple variety of topics that are very, very important to our faith in a new book called Love Thy Body. And Nancy Piercy does the research and she actually, I'm forgetting how she phrased it, that's why I'm linking to the podcast, but she explains that the secular scientists, researchers, whoever, whomever they are, they suppress the truth by calling it human waste, by calling a human being waste. And what happens then is that human life and human value becomes negotiable. Now I want to jump way ahead of myself and talk about that word value. Because the rest of the topics that we're going to discuss in this podcast are all about valuing the human being. Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body, talks about the ramifications of not valuing God's creation properly. Now, Romans 1 shows that there was a, a unhealthy overemphasis in worshiping the creature and the created things. But the hidden backlash of that is that they have elevated certain elements of God's creation and they have suppressed the value of other more more important elements of God's creation. Human beings are more valuable than trees. Don't know who know who needs to hear that. That is factual truth. God did not die. Jesus did not come in human flesh to die on the cross to bring trees to a saving knowledge of him. Yes, this entire world groans waiting for the return of the Savior, waiting for the return of biochemical molecular order. And I cannot wait for it. Lordy, the day I don't have to remember to take my vitamins and I can have all the energy to run around heaven and do all the art I want, that sounds great. But in the meantime, we got lots of brokenness going on and we're all groaning. The trees are groaning, the people are groaning, the bones are growing, my undermethylation is growing. Okay, you get the point. 
So that word value, I want to fast forward and talk about a point that Cy Rogers made in a YouTube video sermon that I will link to. And he explains that in Matthew, Matthew 5 or so, maybe 6, it's the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if you say to your brother, Raka, you are in danger of the fires of hell. And Cy Rogers says, okay, modern translations have translated that word Raka as stupid or idiot, but that is not a proper translation of that word. The proper translation of the word Raka is worthless. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am in no way permitted to call anyone worthless. And Cy Rogers, he realizes that so many of us have had improper definitions of this word love shoved on us by culture, by our life experience, and he makes the strategic and very wise replacement of that word love with the word value. Because God so valued the world, he sent his only begotten son. (sighs) Cy Rogers, for those who do not know his story, he was sexually abused by the age of six, lost his mother at a very young age. She died tragically, and then he was separated from his father because of living situation logistics. And there is so much to his story. He, I have heard him speak on multiple occasions, and the link that I'm going to send you to um, does not reference a lot of his, he does not reference a lot of his personal story in that, but I know from hearing him other times that he nearly underwent to have sexual surgery to have a sex change surgery from being a male to a female. And by the grace of God, he is married with a daughter with grandchildren. And he himself emphasizes that that is not the end goal. That is just a byproduct of the healing and the holiness that God did in him. So I would strongly encourage you to to go and watch that sermon if you have strong opinions about transgenderism or if you don't. If you just don't know anything about it and you want to dip your toe in the awareness water, Cy Rogers is an excellent place to start. He is so gracious and so wise. Um, and that's an excellent segue into the topic of transgenderism. Transgenderism is this very interesting and heartbreaking thing that goes on when you feel like a man in a woman's body or you feel like a woman in a man's body. You know, and who, what gender you want to identify with or if you feel gender fluid, today I feel masculine, today I feel feminine. I'm I'm attracted to this gender, I'm also attracted to this gender. 
I, I want to say with as much understanding as I can muster that I have no comprehension of how difficult that experience must be. And I'm, if that is part of your journey, I'm so sorry that you've had to wrestle with that. I remember hearing Nancy Piercy explain that there was, there was someone who was gay who said, um, you know, if, if, if gay is, being gay is something that we're born with, then God has played a really cruel joke on us. Now, I've read the entire Bible, didn't understand all of it, much of it. I'm working on it, though. Um, I'll be working on that till the day I die. I read the entire Bible, and there was a time in my life where I was terrified of reading the entire Bible because I was afraid that God was going to come out of the book and smite me, come out of the sky and smite me. You know, I did not see God as a loving God, as a kind, gentle God. But in time, I have come to trust that the God of the Bible, who says really hard, difficult things, says those things out of the motivation of caring for us and caring about our value in his eyes. He does not see our gender confusion, our same-sex attraction confusion, and see us as anything less than a valuable human being. You are so valuable to the Most High God. He came and experienced human life with all of its stubbed toes and rejection and ridicule so that he could die on a cross for your sins so that you could know him so that I could know him with all of my messed up garbage stuff. Have you listened to my first episode of my podcast? It's my testimony. I say multiple times in that episode, I was a dysfunctional, selfish person. And that was after I came to know Christ. I came to know Christ at age five. And I was, I am still in many ways, a selfish, dysfunctional person. Coming to healing is a gradual process. And it all, it all comes down to understanding who God really is and knowing that he's good and knowing that he actually does love me that changes everything so I have talked about the flat earthers I have talked about the exodus I have talked about abortion and I have talked about transgenderism and the issue that I need to segue into is the topic of homosexuality. Now, if I... If I could only tell you how many dear, precious young women have come to me and said, I struggle with same-sex attraction. I struggle when I see women in their bikinis. I struggle when I 
see this or see that and I struggle and when I feel that crush it's it's a thing that almost feels natural and normal if I could tell you how many young women have come to me dear Christian believing women have come to me and said I struggle with this I don't even know how to finish that sentence. I just wish I could tell you. They're everywhere, my friends. They are us. They are part of us. Lord Jesus, please help me that I never assume what a woman is comfortable with. I mean, I grew up in the ballet world, and I feel comfortable changing costumes in an entire room with other women. But that's not something that I'm going to assume any young woman is comfortable with anymore because I don't know their struggles. Same-sex attraction is so, so common. Good Christian girls, good pastor kid Christian girls, it's very common. And so if you are listening and you are one of them, if you are one of my sisters who struggles with this, dudes, I'm, I'm, I'm here too. But dudes don't come to me talking about same-sex attraction because I try to stick with counseling my sisters because that's biblical. But dudes, you are included in this. Big group hug for you guys too. Where was I going with that sentence? If you are one of my sisters or brothers who struggles with same-sex attraction, please know you are not alone. And God's holiness is worth it. His holiness and goodness is worth your full and complete trust in him. So that section in Romans 1. Let's, let's lean into that hard passage. The end of the chapter, verse 26 through 32. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who are that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Let me also say to you that if you have been a victim of same-sex abuse, that is not your fault. And God is not out to punish you or get you just because someone else didn't properly see the value in you and treat you appropriately. And I am so, so sorry that that happened to you. That was wrong. They had no business doing that. And God is so sad and angry on your behalf. Cy Rogers is very vulnerable in his sermon that I've linked to. And one of the stories that he tells is 10 years into becoming a Christian, he finally felt loved enough by his church family to go to counseling and get therapy for all of the garbage that he'd been through. And he was sitting with his Christian counselor one day, and the Christian counselor said, why don't we sit and wait and ask the Holy Spirit to just 
maybe show up and tell us what he thinks about this. And God gave Cy Rogers a vision of him as the good father, saying, Oh, my son, I am so sad that this happened to you. Daddy sees and Daddy knows. And so if you have gone through any sort of sexual abuse or even more painful neglect and rejection, yes, I say more painful neglect and rejection because in sexual abuse, at least you are useful to someone for something, but in neglect and rejection, they are declaring you worthless, valueless, which is contrary to what the Bible says. If you have experienced that, please let me say to you, Abba, Father sees, and Abba, Father knows. However, it doesn't change the fact that there are wicked, wicked people in this world, and if you want a clearer understanding about them, go read the book of Jude. It's really heavy, but it's an important clarification on vessels made for dishonor. It's really heavy. It's really heavy. But these are the, the, these are the facts that we have to embrace in order for us to make sense of the world and God's character and his goodness. Is he really good? Is he? He is. Continuing Romans 1 verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It is this approval of those who practice these things that is something that really just breaks my heart. This is the Bible referencing that cultural pressure, you know, to come out as gay or to dress, to cross-dress. Um, and I, well, I didn't reference this before, it is... The Bible's pretty specific in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, that men's clothing is for men and women's clothing is for women. And I would like to make the observation that if you had an authority figure in your life who dressed you in the clothing of the opposite gender because they thought that was fun or cool and it gave them some kind of high, or for whatever reason at all, that responsibility is on them and that is their sin against you 
that is not your fault. So I just want to try to speak as much clarity as I can into us into this. There's there are so many nuances of 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 what is done to us and then what we choose to do ourselves. And those are two different things and we are not responsible for what is done to us even though in many cases sexual abuse makes us feel like we were. I hope that makes sense. God cares very much about how we relate to each other, that we treat each other with value and dignity and respect. And I wish we had time to go through the entire Bible and just talk about how God honors women in the Bible, how God honors our sexuality in the Bible, um, and how God, God's desire is for the righteous to protect and honor the vulnerable, men, women, children, boys. Whew. There's a verse in the Old Testament, the, the exact... <laughs> It's in one of the prophets where he's doling out spankings and it's in one of the prophets and he says, you know, you've, you've sold a boy for, or a girl for a, a bottle of wine and just the carelessness that they treated human life with just, ooh, not cool. Very, very not cool. So yeah, when when Jesus gets mad at a people group, it's because he is slow to anger and his his anger is righteous. And he even says to the Israelites, you know, the unrighteousness of the Canaanites is not yet complete. It's not yet to its critical mass. <sighs> God is so patient with us. He really is. I will do an episode on God honoring women and the vulnerable in the Old Testament. And uh, definitely going to be talking about Deuteronomy 22. It's such... A meaningful and intentional passage and a lot of the context is cultural and it has a lot to do with it has a lot to do with a man being required to provide for a woman is God's way of providing for that woman even though he sinned against her that's the short version we will get into Deuteronomy 22 on another time when we dump, jump into the deep end with Meg. Um, however, to, to wrap up this podcast, I am going to read um, three chapters from the book of Leviticus. So, 18, 19, and 20. And these are some of the most hot topic passages in the Bible. So why am I going to 
wrap up this podcast by reading them in their entirety to you? Well, because when they're on the black and white of the page, we're often not able to hear God's heart behind it. That God is good and he loves us. And he's saying these strong words, you know, speak to the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God. And all of these heavy statements and various situations that he addresses, his motivation is our well-being. And so I'm hoping that in my reading these passages that it will, if you have the fortitude to stick with me and, and keep reading through them, listening with me through them, that, that you will hear hope. You will hear honor. So let's lean in. Let's lean into the awkward. And uh, here we are. Leviticus 18, 19, and 20. English Standard Version. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and, you, and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. Side note on this verse 9 here. By this measure... Abraham did not measure up because Sarah was his half-sister. And yet God gives us grace, just as he gave Abraham. Continuing verse 10. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter brought up in your family's family, since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother, that is, you shall not approach his wife, she is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law, she is your son's wife, you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter. And you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. And you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister uncovering her nakedness while her sister is still alive. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. 
You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither any woman, neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations, so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. The end of chapter 18. That section from verse 24 to verse 30 about how the nations of the Canaanites practiced these things and made the land unclean. The reason that God is being so specific is that without these things written black and white, we don't know what is appropriate or what is not. Our selfishness truly does not know any bounds. It's really, really sad. And I would urge you, if you think that these things should just be known and understood, and you're listening on as an as someone who's unfamiliar with this level of dysfunction, I would urge caution. Because pride goes before a fall. And there's a pothole of dysfunction and selfishness for all of us. I have my favorite potholes and you have yours and we are allowed to evaluate fruit, but we are not allowed to condemn. I'm proud of you for making it through this chapter. Let's push through 19. Leviticus 19, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall reveal his revere his mother and his father. You shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted, it will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people." When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. 
neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave, assigned to another man, and yet not ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death because she was not free, but he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, I need to comment on that. The distinction here is that the woman does not have the right to say no, necessarily. And so in this sense, it is not consensual. So that way, in that regard, the man is the one responsible for the act. God is very, very careful and very protective of us and our sexuality and how we use it and that we do not force it on other people. Maybe that seems like an obvious statement, but as you heard in Leviticus 18 and even just now, there's a lot of things that God has to say to us that are seemingly obvious statements, but without him, you know, who among us truly knows our right hand from our left? I, I, I need him to show me what is right. I will speak for myself in that regard. So continuing in verse 23. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you, it must not be eaten. And in the fourth year all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not cut off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. 
This is a very important passage, and I don't have a strong stance on tattoos one way or another, but this, combined with the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal slashing themselves in worship to the false god of Baal, the conclusion that I'm coming to from this is that God is very much against self-harm. Please don't cut yourself. He talked about it in Leviticus 19. He loves you too much. The blood is the life force and it belongs inside your body. And if you're hurting so badly that you, you are hurting yourself, please get help. Please, please get help. You are so valuable to him and you are so loved. And you are not alone. This has been a struggle since the beginning of mankind. Let's continue. Verse 29, Leviticus chapter 19. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. It is important to note that both at this verse, verse 32, and also before it in verse 3 of this chapter, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Reverence is about honor. It's about how you treat people. It has nothing to do with how you feel about them. We can honor our parents even if we don't feel affection for them. And God will bless us for walking faithfully in that. That you may live long and dwell in the land. Meg memory paraphrase. Let's continue. To repeat verse 32, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the, na- the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah and a just hin. An ephah was about three-fifths of a bushel or 22 liters. A hin was about four quarts or 3.5 liters. These are Old Testament units of measurement. And God is saying they need to be consistent. I'm sure we would agree with that today. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. The thing that keeps coming to me, this, this phrase that keeps repeating is, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. God is tying 
these statements to his identity. God is very much speaking about caring for the person next to you, walking with justice, walking with righteousness, honoring the least of these. And in James, all the way up at the beginning, at the, in the New Testament, he says, again, Meg Memory paraphrase, true and or pure religion is to love and care for widows and orphans. The widows and orphans are the ones where they can't monetarily do anything to pay you back. They can only pay it forward. And so loving them because God says that they are valuable, that is evidence of your love for God. And as he says so many times in this chapter, I am the Lord. And that word Lord there consistently is in all caps, which means it is Yahweh. It is the proper name for God. When it is in lower caps, it is Jehovah. Continuing in chapter 20, Leviticus, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. This is specifically child sacrifice. And if you want to know why abortion is such a revered issue amongst those who hold to it, it is because they are this is the modern-day worship of Molech, and it is absolutely heartbreaking. Leviticus 20, verse 6, continuing on. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. That word whoring I'm not sure as to the exact meaning of that word. There are plenty of excellent people who who know the Greek and the Hebrew, and um, I will be recommending a podcast from Dr. White in the links of this podcast. Um, And I'm sure he would know the details of that meaning of that word. But the implications seem to me that is lusting after 
secret hidden spiritual knowledge, lusting after whatever emotional benefit, you know, for the for the previous pack, passage, whoring after Molech, you know, is there some kind of spiritual high that they got from murdering their own children? Um, so there's, yeah, let's continue on. Verse six, again, if a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. I'm just going to say it, side note again here, the whole crystals and spiritual auras and tarot cards are not a joke. Ouija boards are not a joke. Do not play with them. It is profane fire and you are endangering your soul. And if you have played with them in the past, I would strongly suggest that you in the company of other believers verbally repent of that because there are footholds of the enemy upon you. And verbal repentance is absolutely necessary for eliminating those strongholds. Verse 7. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That word sanctified means to set apart. That means that you are special to me. I'm setting you apart. I'm giving you advice for how to live that is going to give you peace and wholeness. And you will live in the land of milk and honey with health and satisfaction and contentment and rest in the identity of who God is and your relationship to him. That is what it means to be sanctified. It is precious. And as we walk with God, as we continually repent of our sin nature. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for judging this person. Please forgive me for having a bad attitude towards this person. Please forgive me for cutting this person off or not communicating well when I was on the road today. As we submit those things to God in big ways and small ways, he He continues to sanctify us. And As Jesus said in the Beatitudes, the pure in heart will see God. And I love Jesus and I want to see as much of him as he will show to me. So, yeah, you better believe I'm here for all the soul-sanding sanctification because it is worth it. Because God is worth it. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Continuing on, for anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. I must warn you, if you, if you swear about your parents or even your grandparents or ancestors as you process in counseling you are running a risk to give the enemy a foothold. You can say factual things about them, but I would strongly advise you not to deem them worthless. Speak with that raka anger because 
no matter no matter if they are believers or they die in their sin god does not delight in the death of the wicked he takes no pleasure in that it just breaks his heart that they didn't choose him so let god be the one to speak curses and and let's stick with trying to be as honoring as we can under the circumstances continuing on verse 10 if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor both the adulterer and the adulteress shall shall surely be put to death if a man lies with his father's wife he has uncovered his father's nakedness both of them shall surely be put to death their blood is upon them if a man lies with his daughter-in-law both of them shall surely be put to death they have committed perversion their blood is upon them if a man lies with a male as with a woman both of them have committed an abomination they shall surely be put to death their blood is upon them something very specific here this passage is speaking about consensual illicit sex and if there is one thing that the bible is making very clear it is that jesus cares about what we do with our bodies he cares about you that's why he's telling us not to do it this will hurt you and if you have a history of of being sexually active i want you to know that god does not judge you he does not judge you yes he speaks about it very strongly here because he wants us to take it seriously but let's fast forward hundreds of years to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, so important. The woman caught in adultery. Yes, I am interrupting Leviticus 20 to read John chapter 8. Beginning in verse 3. Um, verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, commanded us... Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What? So what do you say? This they said to test him, that he might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. 
Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This passage is so precious and so important. Biblically, according to Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 22, because they were having intercourse in the city, the man and the woman should have been brought. But the Pharisees only brought the woman. Hmm. Very uh, convenient of them. (laughs) They absolutely framed her and staged her. They found someone or even one of themselves had the unscrupulousness to go and catch her. And they'll, oh, they let him off the hook. Oh, because he's our, he's our drinking buddy. We're not going to turn him in. But this woman, oh, she's the bad guy. Ugh. No, God has so much compassion for her. And so if you have found yourself sexually active and now you are completely torn up about it, Jesus says to you also, go and sin no more. This verse is very difficult. Leviticus 20.13 If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. This verse says... If you engage in this behavior, you are hurting yourselves and you are, you are by your perversion. Damaging society by this acceptance of it so much that you need, you need to stop. And Jesus puts this emphasis on capital punishment so that people knew that it was really, really important. He didn't put that tagline onto the verse that says, you know, don't mix the, the, the clothing. Don't, don't mix your cotton with your wool. You know, he, he didn't give that kind of weight to that instruction. Don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. He, I'm pretty sure he didn't give that weight to that instruction. We have cheeseburgers all the time. We have, you know, rayon and spandex garments all the time. But he takes it really seriously here. And it's because he cares about us. Now, there are... There are those who call themselves Christians who have fought this verse... And they have fought all the other verses in the Bible that reference homosexuality and transgenderism. And Matthew Vines wrote a book called The Gay Christian. God and the Gay Christian, I believe. And over and over and over again, he takes these verses and he twists them and he manipulates them. And Dr. White, 
has taken the time to record five hour-long episodes refuting Matthew Vines line by line. He takes an audio recording that Matthew Vines does and he addresses it statement by statement. It took five hours. I agreed with Dr. White and it took... I could barely get through the first two hours. If this, is a, as a, if this is a topic that is very sensitive for you, I would strongly suggest listening to Cy Rogers first and hearing his heart of compassion, hearing the gentleness. And please just take my word for it that the scholars have done the research and the Bible says exactly what it means to say. And for those who question the meaning of Romans 1, if a man lies with another man as with a woman, that phrasing is very similar. Why? Because Paul is referencing the Greek translation of this passage, Leviticus 20. There were many. The reason he is specific about the behavior but he did not use the, the social word for homosexuals because he was not going out against the identity. He was speaking out against the behavior. And in Roman culture, there were many men who were married to women and relatively straight or not, who engaged in this behavior. So the reason... From my understanding of what Dr. White has has broken down, and my husband has listened to all five hours of Dr. White multiple times, he re-listened to it to give me a refresher course for me to record this podcast, the way that the way that Paul addresses the behavior extends beyond the people who simply identified as that in that behavior and extended to everyone who practiced it, whether they identified with it or not. So that's my understanding of why Paul said it the way that he did. He's referencing Leviticus 20 as it was translated into the Greek, known as the Septuagint. I might be pronouncing that wrong, but we're getting into the nerdy scholarly stuff here and if you're still with me at this part in the podcast you need either a great big hug or a big glass of cold water because you are a trooper and this is really really hard to listen to but it's also really important and it's important for us to know why God says the things that he does about these really heavy topics with all of that said let's finish Leviticus 20 To repeat verse 13, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. This is consensual now. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire, that there may be no depravity among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death. 
and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister... I need to comment on this. I... It is my understanding that the reason that God told the Israelites to kill the animals when they went into the promised land is because of this very issue of bestiality. And when you've got sexually inappropriate behavior of this level of debauchery, there is a stronghold of enemy spirits not only on the people who practice that, but also in the animals that it is practiced with, and so that is why the animals are to be put to death. It is not animal cruelty by any means. It is God's mercy on us. Continuing in verse 17, if a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace, and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquity. If a man lies with a woman during her menstrual period and uncovers her nakedness, he has made naked her fountain, and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or of your father's sister, for that is to make naked one's relative. They shall bear their iniquity. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. That is a very interesting consequence. I never noticed that. That's a consequence that is not given by society, but is given by God in childlessness. Oh, what heartbreak. Continuing on, verse 22. We're almost there. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nations of the nation that I am driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from among and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones, their blood shall be upon them. And that is the end of Leviticus 20. And you have successfully listened to three of the hardest chapters of the Bible. 
many congratulations to you. Friend, Jesus loves you so much. You are so valuable to him. And all the instructions that he gives us are for our good. They are not for our harm. They are for our well-being. And if we will obey them in faith, if we will trust that the Creator knows what will satisfy us better than we do, and if we walk in that faith, He will richly reward us. A bit of a story from myself before we part. When I was single, there were a lot of days when I needed a hug, but there was no one to give me a hug. And I especially needed hugs from, from the men in my life, the pastors, the fathers. And a good hug from a pastor could last me a few months to a few years. I can distinctly remember quite a few meaningful hugs that I've gotten um, and that was, that was a really meaningful way that those men encouraged me and protected me and encouraged me to protect my, my, my purity. One of the verses that Cy Rogers paraphrases in his sermon, um, it's Proverbs I want to say it's twenty-two, twenty-seven. Let me go there. It's the fact that I'm remembering it's a miracle, so it means I need to read it properly. Um, if that is indeed the verse. Please stay tuned while I find it. No, it is not twenty-two, twenty-seven. Let me try twenty-seven, twenty-two. I apologize. Nope, that's not it either. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Um, Cy Rogers gives the reference in his sermon, and he paraphrases it loosely. Um, and it's that, you know, bad love is better than no love at all. And the phrasing in Proverbs has to do with honey. And to those who are starving, um, even, if you, even if you are eating gall, it will seem sweet because you are so hungry. And so, Cy Rogers learned to trade sex for love because he was so broken and hurting that he was willing to look for value and validation anywhere from anyone who was willing to give it at whatever cost. Now, in my case, when I was single, um... I desperately wanted physical affection. Um, I just wanted to be held and loved. And I lived alone. And I appreciated my hugs from my sisters, but it was the hugs from my brothers in Christ that, that helped me the most because they made me feel protected and safe. And... I, 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 
I explained it to someone today as if those hugs were like a little a little sip of water as I was walking through a desert. And I had faith that if one day I pursued God's definition of holiness, that I would find someone who would love me with healthy love and holy love. Holy love is worth the wait. I wrote that on post notes on my desk to keep myself focused. There were quite a number of young men attracted to me at my last job and there was one in particular where we just couldn't stop making eye contact with each other. And I'm very glad I did not fall for him because he was very selfish and I would not be happy. I would be absolutely heartbroken over myself. And by the grace of God, I didn't ever interact with him. I mean, we flirted a little bit, and then at a certain point I realized, okay, we gotta cut this, and then I stopped. There was, well, there was him, there was that other dude, there was the gold digger dude. I, I struggled with all the temptations, and and God, by little by little, gave me the fortitude to choose him, to choose Christ over everyone else over and over and over again. And by the grace of God, I was almost there. I held out and I waited for Ben, my husband. And when I met him, I hugged him so much. Oh, those were those were long six months when we were engaged. Um it it was hard. It was hard. We Yeah. It was a good thing that was short. Ben is now an oasis of affection for me because physical touch is still a huge and important love language for me. And so when he hugs me, I just feel so safe and secure to the point where I forget how difficult those years of singleness were. For those of you who don't know, Ben and I fell in love the summer I turned 29. We were engaged the last few months of that, and then we got married when I turned 30. So I went the majority of my 20s without any boyfriend, any physical affection. I was relying on that protection and that affection from the brothers in Christ, who very wisely were very... They were very restrained with how often they hugged me. I averaged about one good hug from every pastor I had. One. Pastor and mentor. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for all of it because it helped. Even that restraint helped me from struggling with the temptation to covet them. God was so careful. God was so, so careful. So the encouragement that I am trying to give to you in sharing that story is that if you will pursue holiness, God will satisfy you. As it says in Psalm 37, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you 
the desires of your heart. Dwell on the land and feed on his faithfulness. My name is Meg, and I love my Jesus, and I believe in living inside out. Now it is your turn. Go live it.